Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Good morning. Welcome to Soul City Church. How are we doing this morning, Soul City? Yeah. Happy Easter. Nothing like getting you hopped up on sugar right before the message. I expect all of you to make it all the way through without crashing during this message. I'll be brief. I'll be brief. Good morning. Happy Easter. It is so good to see you. I know there's a lot of folks here. Maybe this is your first time ever here. I'm so glad that you are here. Some of you, this is your first time back in a long time. It is so good to see you. For those of you who are in uh, this building, for those of you who are worshiping with us online, I'm Jarrett. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And and Jeannie said it, but y'all do, I mean, you do look really good. I just want to (laughs) say, you really do look good. I don't know what you're, maybe you're in sweats, but you're in your best sweats at home. And I'm so glad that you are. I love, you know, Easter in the Midwest. It's the only place where you get to wear your winter coat with your Easter outfit, but y'all made it work, and I'm proud of you uh, for doing that. I don't know about you, but, but Easter for me is like, it's such a meaningful time. It's such a, a joy-filled time. It's one of those holidays that I most associate with, with joy and with celebration. You know, I think about Easter, and I just, man, it's like a happy place for me. You ever have those kind of places where it's, it's just like, it feels like, oh, that's just, a good, that's just a happy place. Warms your heart even to think of it. And maybe it's because... You know, Easter falls, at least here in the Midwest, it falls right around those four days that we call spring, you know, and so, and so we're all feeling good, and we're all going outside, and there's some flowers starting to bloom, maybe that's it, but I don't know, it just kind of has that like happy place feeling for me, and I think those places are important, I think all of us have those places where you don't even actually have to go there, you just think about it, and you already feel different, you know, we probably, even right now as I'm talking, you're probably thinking of some place that's a happy place for you where you just kind of get lost in all that you think about. It changes your whole mood and perspective. Like, okay, let me give you an example. I have a happy place, a really happy place where I go and get lost and I can go for hours, completely lose track of time. And so I'm going to put a picture up and see if you know which aisles are my happy place. Ah, oh, it's my happy place. I feel so good when I go to the depot. I've been, now, you know, now this is true of me when I go to the depot. I walk in there only needing one or two things. Like, I just need a drywall patch kit. That's really all I need is a drywall patch kit. But then I walk in and I see all the things. And they put those brand new lithium-ion battery drills right in front. And I start to think of myself, we need a lithium-ion battery drill. Even though, true story, we already have one. I begin to think, but we need a backup. I feel like... I could be drilling and I might need a backup drill. I could get lost. All of a sudden, it's 30 minutes later and I'm pushing one of those orange wobbly carts around. Again, just for the drywall patch. That's all that I actually need. Why? Because it's a happy place for me. I go in wanting one thing and walk out with completely something else. Okay, so maybe that's not, those aisles aren't your happy place. Let me just put another picture up. Tell me if this might be your happy place. Yeah, okay. Sorry, wrong room. I didn't realize who I was speaking to here. Okay, okay. My bad, my bad, my bad. Maybe for you, Target, that, that these, these aisles are more your style. That's your vibe. Like, you go into Target. Like, Jeannie will go into Target, and it, it'll be hours. I mean, she'll turn her phone off. Like, she's gone. She's off the grid. I have no way of getting a hold of her. And it's, isn't that so true? Like, you can go into Target just needing, like, one or two things. Like, oh, I need some baby formula. Oh, I need some ink cartridges. But then you get distracted by everything. And then you walk to the middle and you see the Studio McGee display. And you think, oh, look at that beautiful candle holder. I've been needing something to put my candle on. And you walk out of Target $150 more than you walked in willing 
to spend. Why? Because I think for a lot of us, it's like a happy place. We walk down those aisles and it's like, ah, it feels good, right? Sorry. Right, so the question for you then, I guess, is, as you're here, for those of you who are in this, this room, is when you walk down these aisles today, what was it that you were feeling? Because we all walked in here feeling something, some kind of way. What did you walk down these aisles feeling? What, what did you walk down these aisles today searching for? Because I believe all of us are searching for something. There's something that, like, listen, for those of you who are here in this room, something somewhere inside of you compelled you to get up, to dress up, and to show up. That's a lot these days. And you did it. My hunch is because your soul is searching for something. And maybe, maybe you got here because of tradition. You know, it's Easter. I should probably go to church. Or maybe you got here because of an invitation. Someone said, I'd love for you to check out my church. Or they sent you a link. But my hunch is at a deeper level. You are here. You walk down these aisles today because your soul is searching for something that I believe is at the heart and the very center of Easter. Something that all of us are longing for, hoping for, needing. And so my question to you, no matter what it is that you came in here searching for, is just simply this. As we kind of look at one simple text today around the Easter story, it's just this. What if God actually has more than whatever it is that you're searching for? Like we all walk in searching for something. We all came in here wanting something. But what if God actually has more than what you are searching for? What if he has so much more in store for you than whatever it is that you may be searching for right now in your life? That really is what is at the heart of the Easter story. God has so much more than we could even possibly imagine. People in that original story showed up expecting one thing, but God did so much more than they were searching for. And I want to show you exactly what I mean. We're going to look at one little moment in this important story that's at the center of the Christian faith, and I'd love for us to do it together. So if you're in this room, can you grab one of the Soul City Bibles? There should be one right under your seat or on your armrest right there up in the balcony. Uh, You can turn to Luke 23. Luke 23, it's page 858. Those of you who are worshiping with us online, or maybe you like to use your phone for this, you can do that, and just open to Luke 23. We're going to go right to the bottom, right to the tail end of Luke 23, and, and walk through just a few verses that I think are so important for us to consider this Easter. Now, let me give you some quick context because we kind of have to unpack where we're coming at in, in Luke 23. Jesus, and now you have to understand this about Jesus. We talk about Jesus all the time here. It's the center again. We believe he, Jesus is the answer to everything that we're searching for. And so Jesus, you have to know this about him. His whole life was leading to the events of Easter. It was leading to the cross. For him, the cross was always on the horizon of his life. The plan all along was for Jesus to actually give his life for us as the way for us to be free, to be forgiven, to be in relationship with God. And he gave his life as a way for us to live our lives, to die to ourselves and be raised to new life in him. And what's amazing about this moment where we come to in the story, we talked about this last week, is all the crowds that were singing Hosanna, Hosanna had turned to shouting crucify, crucify. Like that. And after being betrayed and rejected and abandoned by his closest friends, after being arrested on trumped up charges, a rigged trial, after being mocked and ridiculed and beaten beyond recognition, Jesus was ultimately led to the cross that again he came for all along. And he was crucified as a common criminal. And this is what it says in Luke 
23, in those final moments of his earthly life, this is what it, Jesus says from the cross. It says this in Luke 23, 44. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until about three in the afternoon. For the, now this is power. The sun stopped shining, literally and spiritually. The sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies, it was actually torn into, and look what happens in verse 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. It is finished. And with that, he breathed his last breath. With that, Jesus gave his life. And here's the thing. Only a small handful of his followers were actually there to witness it. Mostly it was the women who followed him with one of his disciples, John, being there as well. And despite Jesus explicitly and clearly telling them what was to, like this was going to happen, what was to come, they had no plan for what would happen next. They were not expecting this. They were not searching for this. None of them ever thought to ask any follow-up questions with Jesus. And so what happens? After he was crucified, he had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. Someone that he barely even knows stepped up at the last minute and offered a gravesite that belonged to his family that had never been used before. And this is what's, I love this, the gospel writer of, of John, you don't have to turn there in the Bible, but the gospel writer John tells us that this borrowed tomb that was offered at the last second for Jesus to be buried in was located in, of all places, a garden. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, just think of the, the juxtaposition there. You have a tomb, which is a place of death in a garden, which is a place of life. And I love, I just, there's so much more to the story than we even can recognize or see because isn't this, this is just, this is what's fascinating to me. For those of you who are familiar with, maybe you know that the story of, of the Bible, you know, isn't it interesting that it was in a garden that sin entered into our story. And here it is in a garden that sin would be defeated once and for all. Isn't that beautiful? Only God can do that. So beautiful, so powerful. So back to the story. I got to get to the rest of the text. Okay, so two men who had secretly followed Jesus from a distance hastily kind of prepared his body to be buried. I mean, they only had a few moments before Passover would begin and they were not allowed to do anything like that. So they kind of got prepared him to stay dead. And then a huge stone was rolled in front of his tomb and, and the Roman leaders actually put Roman guards in front of the tomb, you know, just so that like no one got any crazy ideas. They gave orders to soldiers to literally stand there all night just to hedge their bets in case something might happen. But as soon as, as Passover was over, the absolute earliest moment, we see this. Now we move to Luke 24, verse 1, and it says this. On the first day of the week, right after Passover, very early in the morning, the, who is it again? The... I'm just saying. The women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found that the stone had actually been rolled away from the tomb. Now, I, I love this. It's, these women who were followers of, of Jesus were the first on the scene. They were the last there at the cross and the first at the empty tomb. And I've said this every single time I have taught this message, and I think it bears repeating. It just means this. They came to prepare Jesus's body to be properly buried. They came to do it the right way. In other words, if you want a job done right, you might as well send a woman. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's in the Bible. Read your Bibles. And so, I mean, just, so the women are there. 
And what are they there to do? They're there to properly embalm. I'm sorry to be technical, but it's true. Jesus to do what? To stay dead. Overwhelmed by, by grief and confusion and fear. And now, oh my God, the tomb's empty. What, what happened? The, the stone's been rolled away. I mean, tombs are for dead people and dead people are supposed to stay. Anyone want to take a guess? Dead. But look what happens in Luke 24, verse 3. It says this, but when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, like what could possibly have happened, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, and y'all look great today, but none of you, I'm just sorry, none of you gleam like lightning, stood before them. Now, who are these two men? These are angels that stand before them. So now try and imagine this moment. This was not, a go- again, not what they showed up looking for, not at all what they expected. They showed up to embalm Jesus. Jesus is gone. And before the shock of all that had even settled in, they turn around and realize they're not alone in an empty tomb. And they freak out and they fall to their faces because there are two angels there. You know, angels just there, right there in that moment. And I know my hunch is they did not wake up that morning expecting to find the body of Jesus missing. I guarantee you they did not wake up that morning expecting to experience an angel. All this was a shock to them. None of this was what they had imagined. And none of it was what they showed up searching for. And what we see in their response is what we so often find, at least I find it to be true in, in, in my own life, that the reason they can't recognize it, the reason they can't see it, again, even though Jesus told them this was going to happen, the reason they can't recognize it is because, at least this is true of me, when the worst is all we can imagine, God's best can be hard to fathom, can it? Like, you know when you get in your head and the worst is all you can imagine? It's going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. It's not going to work out. Well, then it's so hard for us to recognize, to even fathom God's best for our lives. When the worst is all you can imagine, God's best can be so hard for you and I to fathom. How many times have you found that to be true in your lives? Like That God actually has something good for you, but it's so hard for you to see it because all you see, all you hear, all you imagine is the worst. Like, let me give you an everyday example. Every time. True story. Every time I get onto Interstate 290, I expect the worst. I just assume it's going to be awful. I assume it's going to take an hour. Even if I have to go three exits away, I just assume, the, I just assume when I get on, God has forsaken me. God has forsaken this city. He's left us to ourselves. There might not even be a God. I mean, I literally, I assume the worst. I am not expecting God's best when I get on to I-290. You know that feeling like? All of us have that. Like, like maybe for you, when you think about the state of our, our city right now, and you think about the violence, Or you think about our country and you think about the division, the hatred, and it's so easy to only assume the worst, to miss that God actually might have something better because all we see, all we can imagine is the worst. Or maybe let's make it a little more personal. Maybe for you, someone you know, someone you love, someone you care about has received a life-altering diagnosis recently, within this past year maybe, and you know how that feels, all that fear all that worry, all those what ifs begin to settle into your heart. And it can be so hard for you to fathom that God is actually good and at work because all you can imagine is the worst. And I just wonder how much of of God's glory and God's goodness I miss simply because I'm not looking for it. I don't show up expecting it. When the worst is all we can imagine, God's best 
can be so hard to fathom. And the worst was what these women were expecting. They were expecting Jesus to be dead. They weren't ready for a resurrection. They weren't expecting an empty tomb. They were not anticipating angels in their midst, which is why I love what happens in verse 5. Luke 24, verse 5 says this, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, proper response to angels. But the men, these angels, said to them, Oh, this is so good. Why do you look for the living among the what? Among the dead. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. He did it, just as he told you he would. What a powerful and prophetic and profound question these angels ask these women. Why do you look for the living among the dead? What are you doing here at this tomb? I can just hear the angel saying, girl, he gone. He's not, like, he up, he's out. What are you doing here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I know you came here searching for something, but God has so much more in store for you. Why are you looking for the living among dead things? I think that's the question for all of us to consider this this Easter. What, where is it that I'm looking for life among dead ends? Among things that can never deliver. Among things that will never, ever, ever satisfy. Among things that never will actually supply me with some sense of, of purpose or, or meaning that I'm searching for. Things that I think will suffice what I'm really searching for, which is ultimately really at the end of the day, real life. And they never quite deliver, do they? And I got to believe that I'm not the only one that goes searching for living things among dead ends. We all have places, I think, that we think will satisfy us, make us feel alive, but never truly do. Like, I know some of y'all in this church are, you love to work out. Like you are gym rats. Like you were there. You love working out. And so you go hard when you work out. And you could go and you could work out every single day of the week. And you could, and you could work out for hours like it's your job. And you can work out and then make sure to take a picture afterwards and post it to social just so you can humble brag that you worked out. I would never do anything like that, but some people do. And so, so you can do all of that and go so hard and still at the end of it, I'll not really feel alive. You can feel good, but not alive. You can move from relationship to relationship, hoping to find a home for your heart, hanging on all kinds of unspoken, unrealistic, unhealthy expectations on others and still not feel alive. You can scroll all day. Some of us have. Hoping to find something to wake you up. Something to inspire you. Something to make you feel better about your life. Something to make you feel alive and never find it. You can make all the money in the world. You can make more money than you ever even imagined. More money than you would ever need and still not feel fully alive. Get this. Don't miss this. You could be the most religious person. You can go hard after all this stuff and make sure that you only listen to Christian music and make sure that you can quote a Bible verse anytime, at any moment, even when people don't ask you to and maybe don't even want you to. You can go to church every week. You can serve and volunteer every Sunday and still not feel fully alive because you miss Jesus in the equation. Think about it. The places in your life where you go looking for life at dead ends. I think for me, I know one of the places for me, certainly not all the time, but lots of times, that I go looking for life, that I think it will satisfy, that I think it will provide meaning and purpose for my life is, is if, it's, it's just if I can get people to like me. 
That's all. Here's the thing. I only have one simple request. I just want all the people in all the world to like me. That's it. If we can just do that, I'll feel alive. <laughs> right? And so I, I, I just, you know, there's so, there are times, I'll be honest, there are times where I want you, oh, I just want you to think I'm so smart. Or I'm so funny. Or I'm so clever. Or I have some deep spiritual insight. I, I just, at times, I just, I think that'll make me feel alive. If other people like me, especially people online, I can't get them to like me. I don't know why that is. Right? Why? Because all of us go looking for life in dead ends. All of us have those places where we're searching and hoping for something that can never be found. And it's not that any of those things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. It's just that they can't give you what you ultimately are looking for. Real life. They can't do what Jesus did. They can't provide what Jesus promises. No matter how hard we go looking for life there, we just won't find it. And here's what we will find. After going hard, after all those things that we think will promise us life, guess what we will find? We'll find ourselves more defeated and depleted than when we started. There's only one place, one place that promises real life, and it's the empty tomb of Jesus. And as that stone was rolled away for those women to see, you know, I used to always think the stone was rolled away for Jesus to get out, you know, like he needed an exit strategy, you know, <laughs> like he's resurrected. He's like, uh, hello, I have appearances to make, right? I always thought the stone was rolled away for him to get out. No, 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 no. The stone was rolled away for them to go in and see he did it just as he said he would. And maybe for you this Easter, the stone has been rolled away for you to see, for you to see that there is real life possible, that there is actually nothing that can separate you from the life that God has for you. Anything and everything that you thought would lead to life pales in comparison to the real life that Jesus offers, that we see through a resurrected tomb. Anything that separated you, thought separated you from real life with God, all of it has been defeated because of the empty tomb. And now there is nothing that can separate you from the life God has for you, from life with God. There's no stone in the way. There's no sin in your life. There's no death that you may fear. There's no fear at all, no doubt, no thing from your past, no worry about your future. Nothing can separate you. Nothing is keeping you from the resurrected life that Jesus has for you. And that's the truth of Easter that I don't want you to miss. I don't want anyone to miss, whether you're here in this room or joining us online. That's the thing that's at the center of it all. And it's so simple for each and every one of us to get. And it's simply this. It's that the only one to ever defeat death, that's the only one who can ever give real life. The only one in human history to defeat death is the only one who can actually give real life. Jesus the Christ is the only one who actually defeated sin and death through his sacrifice on the cross and his miraculous resurrection. He's the only one to ever do it. He's the only one to leave the tomb empty for all to enter in to see. He's the only one to leave the invitation open for all to respond to. He's the only one who can offer you life, real life. You're not going to find among those dead end things. It's only found in Jesus. That's what he said all along. That's why he came. John 10, 10 says this, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Not a get by life, not a just a little life, life to the full. That's why he came. That's what he came to give. That's what he offers you, you, me, all of us this Easter. Life, full life, real life, 
life with God through him in this life and in the life beyond. That's the promise of Easter, that there's hope for those who feel hopeless, that there's peace for those who feel overwhelmed, that there's forgiveness and freedom for all of us who've lost our way or maybe made a mess of our lives, that there is actually life in this life and beyond this life. And it's found in Jesus, the one who gave of his life for yours. And I got, we got such a beautiful and such a powerful picture of this idea of finding life in Jesus in the most unexpected way this week at Soul City Church. See, I, I, I had the message pretty much was all done and, and, and all buttoned up, and I was kind of ready to go. I was excited about coming in this weekend, and then something happened on Thursday that changed everything you're about to hear for the next three minutes. Because there's someone that had been connected to our church that wanted to tell us their story, the story of death to life. This Thursday, our team got to actually meet someone named Juan. Juan and his family were visiting Chicago on a family vacation. Uh, Juan's sister Edith is a part of our church. Edith and her family are part of our church. But Juan and his family actually live in the Cayman Islands, where Juan's wife is, is from. And Juan shared with us that just a few years ago, that, um, three, four years ago, he found himself in the darkest season of his life as he wrestled with fear and anxiety wondering if his life was even worth living and, and to try and, and cope, to try and manage that, to try and escape all of that. He turned to alcohol, which eventually became an overwhelming addiction in his life. And Juan told us about how one night at one of his lowest moments as he was questioning whether his life was really worth it, he was driving faster than he should have, intoxicated and turned his car into the highway divider, flipped his car multiple times, should have been dead walked out of that car with literally just a few scrapes. And it was in that moment that Juan knew his life had been spared. This was a turning point moment for him. He had only up to that point imagined the worst for his life. He couldn't fathom God's best for him, but God had spared him. And so he decided in that life-altering moment to give his life to Jesus. He said, I don't know, I don't understand it all, but I think this is about God and I want to say yes to Jesus. And so he said yes to Jesus. And as Jesus began doing the transforming work that Jesus does, he eventually got sober and he began to reconcile broken relationships. In fact, his girlfriend at the time, their relationship was on the ropes. He reconciled and restored that relationship. And that picture of that beautiful woman that you just saw a moment ago became his wife. They started a family together. His whole life changed. Friends, this is just in the last three years. And because they were in the Cayman Islands, they wanted to find a church they were connected to. His family had told them about Soul City Church. And so you know what they began to do? They began watching online every week from the Cayman Islands in a much more beautiful setting than any of us. And they would watch together week after week as a family and their little daughter would dance to our music. And so Juan knew as they were coming here on a family vacation to Chicago, Juan said to his wife and to his family, I have to get baptized at Soul City Church. Now there's one small problem. Our baptism was two weeks ago. He missed the window, but our team said absolutely not. And so they all pulled together and in the middle of our lobby, in the middle of a Thursday afternoon, we got to baptize Juan and celebrate the new life that he has in Jesus. Isn't that so beautiful? 
to see that picture of death to life, someone who had been looking for life in dead end places and had finally found it in Jesus. That is what Easter is all about. And while the details of your life and your story may be different from Juan's, I bet all of us can identify, all of us know that we have places that we've been looking for the living among the dead, trying to find life in dead end places that maybe promised us life but have never delivered, that maybe we thought would fulfill us but never have. And I don't know what you walked down these aisles today searching for or what you logged on looking for, but I can promise you, God has so much more for you so much more than whatever it is that you're searching for. And it all begins and ends with Jesus. And I want to just give you an opportunity to respond to the God who gave it all for you. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. If you're in this room, would you stand right now, whether you're here on this floor or in the balcony? We love to pray. And if you're new around here, I'll just let you in on a little thing here. When we pray, we, we don't, I mean, we don't always like fold our hands. What we often do is we open our hands. We just think that's a better way to pray. It says more. And so if you'd be willing, would you open your hands right now? And if it helps, it helps me to close my eyes so I'm not distracted by anything else around me. And if you think about that, you consider the lengths that God went to to demonstrate his love and offer this life for you that all that Jesus endured so that you could say yes to him. And if you feel in your heart a stirring to say, I want that life. I know what it feels like to go looking for life in dead end places. I want to be truly alive in Jesus. I just want to give you a chance to say that to him in your own words. And you can, you can follow along in this prayer and make my words your words if that helps. And it's, it's a really simple prayer. It's just this. You just say, Jesus, I say yes to you. I just wonder if there's anyone that needs to say that today. Jesus, I say yes to you. Maybe for the first time, maybe you need to come back home. It's been long. You've lost your way and you realize this Easter that God has never lost you. Jesus, I say yes to you. I confess that I've gotten lost, but I choose you as my home. Thank you for saying yes to me. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross, for the empty tomb, and for the life that you now give me. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of me. Jesus, I say yes to you today and every day of my life. And God, that really is it. That's what it all comes down to at Easter that we would just simply say yes to you. Would you help us say yes to you in whatever way we can, in whatever way we need to today? And Jesus, to you be all the glory. You are who we celebrate. You are our reason to celebrate. And so we declare to you be the glory, your name, your name. Throughout all of heaven and here in this church and in our lives, we give you all the glory, Jesus, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do. It's in your name. Amen.